We're going to read from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through to 43. Uh, There's an absence of rustling, so I'll begin. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them, told them to give her something to eat. Father God, whoever we are, however we come to church this morning, however we're feeling, please show us Jesus, the compassionate King. Amen. Amen. Well, you may have noticed we're diving into chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel because we're picking up in our series in Mark that we started this time last year. And so, as a very quick recap, in the first four chapters, we've seen Jesus arrive on the scene in chapter 1, and he says he's come to proclaim the good news. He's come to teach. And throughout the chapters, we've seen him teach, and we've seen him demonstrate his power over various things. And as Jesus has taught and as Jesus has um, demonstrated his power, 
we've seen different reactions in different people. People have responded in different ways. And as a result, this has caused massive division amongst the people. Some people are amazed. We get that refrain often. People are amazed by Jesus and as a result choose to follow him. Other people aren't so impressed and so reject Jesus, turn away from him. In fact, some even plot to kill him. And in chapter 4, Jesus almost brings this together and says, look, my teaching will result in different responses. And we're left at the end of chapter 4. We're left with this question, the very last verse of chapter 4. Who then is this? Who is this man? And that's the question we're asking as we work through Mark's gospel. Who is this, this unexpected king? And today we see the compassionate king, the compassionate king. Compassion, it's, it's that feeling of, of pity or, or concern to someone else who's suffering or who's worse off than we are. Maybe you can remember a time when you felt compassion towards someone else. Or maybe you can think of a time when someone else showed you compassion. A time when, when you knew that they understood you. A time when you knew you could trust them. A time when you knew you could go to them. We're going to have a look at all three uh, encounters with Jesus across chapter 5. So we just read about two of them in verses 21 to 43. But we're also going to have a look at the one at the start of the chapter as well. Because as Mark writes his gospel, he often runs threads that run all the way through the different stories. And so as we look at these three different encounters, as we look at these three different individuals, hopefully we'll see the threads that are running through these stories as Mark brings them together. And so as we look at these three encounters with Jesus, we're going to see three desperate situations. We're going to see the deep compassion of Jesus. And so then we'll see the different responses. And as we do, as we look at these three stories, rather than run through them one by one, which probably would make more sense, what we're going to do is we're going to jump back and forth between the stories that hopefully will help us to see that thread. So hopefully you'll stick with me, and hopefully that wouldn't be t- won't be too confusing as we move about across this chapter. But hopefully that will show us the threads that run through this chapter. Here's the first thing we see. The first thing we see is desperate situations. We meet three people in desperate situations. First, we meet the man with an evil spirit. To help us remember where we are, here's the man with the evil spirit. Here's the unclean man. We rejoin uh, Jesus in verse 1 as he crosses the lake to Gentile territory. And no sooner has his feet hit the sandy shore... But he's approached by a man in a, in a desperate situation. What do we learn about him? Verses 1 to 5 of the chapter tell us about him. We learn that he's unclean. Verse 2, he has an evil or an unclean spirit in him. Verse 3, we learn he lives in unclean places. He lives in tombs. Now, in the year or so I've been in Basingstoke, I've learned there's some better places, there's some worse places to live in Basingstoke. I won't name any places... But nowhere is as bad as living in a tomb, right? He's outcast. Verse 3 to 4. He lives in tombs because no one has the power to bind him up. He's a danger to people. 
And so people look to chain him up as if he's a wild animal. They look to tame him. He's so outcast, he's dehumanized. He's treated like a wild animal. And so, verse 5, we learn he's tormented. Have a look at verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. It's an incredibly desperate situation. Doesn't your heart just bleed for him? And then we have Jairus over here. If I'm over here during the sermon and you've been distracted for a few minutes, we're on Jairus, verses 22 to 24. What do we learn about Jairus? Well, we learn he's a synagogue ruler. Now, this would likely mean that this is a rich guy. This is a powerful guy. This is an influential guy. This is a guy who would be well known amongst the people. And yet, this is a guy who is helpless. What's happening? Verse 23, he pleads with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. It's another desperate situation. And then we have, in the middle, we have the sick woman. This sick woman, she's unnamed. We're not even told her name. She's a nobody. And we learn she's been bleeding for 12 years. This would mean that she would be regarded as unclean in the community. She would be cast out of the community, cut off from them. She's an outcast with her situation. Can you imagine it? 12 years of bleeding. This past week, I've suffered from a bit of a cold. I've felt sorry for myself. A few days of a cold? 12 years of bleeding. And so, verse 26, we learn she suffered a great deal. None of the doctors can work out how to heal her. Verse 27, she spent all that she has. Doctors can't help. Money can't help. And as a result, this woman is alone. She's isolated. She's out of options. She's helpless. She's hopeless. She's penniless. And to make matters worse, it's only getting worse. An utterly desperate situation. Three people in desperate situations. And I wonder, as we saw the three different people in, these, in this chapter, I wonder if you saw some of the similarities and the differences that Mark draws out. We have this man and this woman who are outcasts in society. And then we have Jairus, a somebody in society. The woman's nameless, penniless. She comes up in secret behind Jesus. Jairus is rich. He's named. We find out who he is. We know who he is. He has a standing in community. He's able to approach Jesus face to face and be able to talk to him. And yet, they're all helpless. None of them can do anything about their situation. And so as we read this, our hearts are meant to bleed for their situation. And I wonder if you notice how they all react to Jesus in a similar way. Have a look at verse 6. When he, the man, saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Verse 22, then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. 
and verse 33, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. All of them in their desperate, helpless situations, all they can do is come to Jesus and fall on their feet, fall on their knees. In fact, the same phrase, even though this man and Jairus are so different in society, the same phrase is used about how they speak to Jesus in verse 10 and verse 23. They beg, they plead earnestly with him. Mark wants us to tie this thread through these stories. He wants us to see that in these three very different situations, three very different people, we see three very helpless and desperate situations for Jesus. And so notice that in their desperation, their reaction to Jesus is to turn to him, not away from him. I wonder how you can respond to suffering, to hard times in life. We can respond in many different ways. I wonder if your natural response, your natural instinct is to turn away from Jesus. Why would he do this to me? I can't believe it. I don't want anything to do with him. Or does it make you come to him? If you're suffering, if you're going through a hard time, come to Jesus. Or if you know someone, you're helping someone who's going through a hard time, bring them to Jesus. Why? Why is it worth bringing bringing ourselves to Jesus? Well, because secondly, he shows us a deep compassion. A deep compassion. Do you see how Jesus reacts to them all? The man with the evil spirit over here, Jesus engages with him. Jesus talks to him. Jesus is prepared to help him. Or the sick woman in the middle. Do you see how Jesus engages with this woman? The woman hoping not to be seen. The woman who comes from behind, who who just reaches out to touch the edge of his cloak. And Jesus senses this, verse 30. He wants to know who's touched him. And you almost get the comical nature in verse 31 as, as the disciples turn around, verse 31. You see all these people crowding against you, and yet you can ask who touched me. There's so many people crowding around wanting to get near Jesus, and yet he knows it. He wants to know who's touched him. And so, verse 33, the woman approaches Jesus. She falls at his feet. She's trembling with fear. This woman isn't meant to be around people, and yet here she is in the middle of a crowd. This woman isn't meant to touch anyone, otherwise they become unclean. And yet she reaches out and touches Jesus. And she tells him everything. How must she be feeling right now? How's he going to react to me? Verse 34. He said to her, daughter. Daughter. Not woman. The way that we know her. The way that these people in the crowds probably refer to her. Not woman. Daughter. Oh, how these words would have been balm to her soul. Daughter, go in peace. Peace. She's not known peace for 12 years. Be freed from your suffering. 
Oh, what she's been looking for, what she's been spending all her money on all these years is finally here. Jesus engages with a woman that no one else does. Jesus accepts a woman that no one else will. In the woman's terror, Jesus doesn't rebuke her. He accepts her. And so even though this woman does experience and enjoy the power of healing, so far greater than that, this woman enjoys peace. This woman gets new family. You see, the reason I think Jesus almost calls her out of the crowd and and exposes her is for her own good. Jesus wants to show her that she is loved and accepted by God. I've heard it said, when Jesus is all I have, I realize that Jesus is all I need. But don't forget Jairus. Remember Jairus at this point? Imagine what he's feeling at this moment. Jesus, come on. What are you wasting time for? I need you to come right now. Don't you know what's happening here? Oh, for Jairus, the delay must have been agonizing. And then, verse 35, the agony gets worse in the worst way imaginable. When Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Can you imagine what's going through his head? As a father of a little daughter with one due in a couple of weeks, could you hear worse news than this? And you see the lack of hope in the people who came to see him. Why bother this man? There's nothing that he can do anymore. Absolute desperate situation. And yet Jesus ignores them, verse 36, and says, don't be afraid, just believe. And Jesus heads with Jairus to his house. He rebukes those there for not believing, rebukes those grieving, he goes into the child's bedroom and he takes her by the hand and says to her, Talitha Kum, little girl I say to you, get up. And the girl experiences the loving, tender touch of Jesus Christ. And then Mark gives us, verse 42, this random detail in brackets. She's 12 years old. Heard anything else in this passage that's 12 years? Another detail that threads these stories together. For as long as this little girl has been alive and healthy before this illness is the length of time that Jesus' new daughter has been suffering from this illness and disease. It's compassion to all. But it's not just simply a feeling of compassion, but it's a compassion that makes Jesus act. 
It's not like when I can, can walk around the streets of Basingstoke and, and see a homeless or rough sleeper on the street and my heart can go out to them, but I do nothing. No, Jesus' compassion causes him to act. And how does it cause him to act? Because not only does Jesus have great compassion, but he's got great power. He can do something about it. What does he do with the man? Verse 8. He gets rid of the demon just by speaking. What does he do with the woman? With a disease that no doctor and no money has been able to do anything about. In fact, just makes it worse. Just through a touch. A touch that he isn't even conscious of at first. And then verse 29. How quick does it happen? Immediately. And then with Jairus, words that are used, words that are intimate, words that will be used by a mother to just wake up a child from a nap. Jesus is able to bring this child from death. Because to Jesus, with compassion and power, death is just like sleep. Just through touch and word. And how quickly again, verse 42, there's Mark's buzzword that runs through his book, immediately. What are we to make of these encounters then? What are we to make of these encounters with Jesus Christ? Are we to see these and read these and therefore expect to see these things happen today, expect to see Jesus healing sickness and disease? No, I don't think that is the purpose here in Mark's gospel. You see, as we work through Mark's gospel, what Mark is looking to do is slowly but surely revealing the identity of this unexpected king. And so the purpose of these miracles is to see who this man Jesus is, not to set a precedent on what we should be expecting. And so we see here that Jesus is stronger than demons. He's stronger than disease. He's stronger than death. He fights demons and disease and death with an unstoppable force. And yet at the same time, his love and his compassion means he treats people with a beautiful tenderness as family. Look, there's no guarantee, there's no promise in these verses and throughout the Bible, that, that our suffering will stop. That's not the purpose of these miracles here. But it does point us to a time, a day, when there will be healing. In this healing of the bleeding woman and Jairus' daughter, uh, we have this sandwich structure that Mark likes to use that we've seen previously in Mark's Gospel, where he, he intertwines two stories together to give us a lesson to learn from the meat, if you like, of the story. So what's the lesson here for us? What's the lesson here for Jairus? Well, there seems to be a challenge here to have faith in the waiting. Jairus has the agony of waiting as Jesus responds to this woman. And Jesus calls him to believe. And sometimes we may have to wait in our suffering. And so Jesus says, will you trust me whilst you wait? 
There is pain in our waiting. And whilst you wait, Jesus says, will you come to me? Will you rest in me? Will you lay all your burdens on me? See how he receives people with compassion. See how much he cares for people in their suffering. And so, if that is you this morning, don't be afraid to come to Jesus. Don't hold back. Don't turn away from him trying to do it in your own strength. Bring your pains to him. Speak to him. Pour out your heart to him in prayer. His compassionate heart welcomes you into his loving arms as he takes you by the hand like he takes that little daughter. Run to him. Rely upon him. Rest in him. Trust him. We've seen desperate situations. We've seen deep compassion. And then finally we see different responses. Throughout these three situations we see varied responses to Jesus. We see some bad Have a look back at verse 14. The crowd responds as Jesus heals the man with the impure spirit. Verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off, reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. They told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. The people couldn't tame him. Jesus transforms him. So much so that he sat in front of Jesus, dressed and in his right mind. Surely reason to rejoice, isn't it? And yet, Their response is fear. They plead, they beg with Jesus to leave him. They end up concluding that to be without Jesus is better than being with Jesus. But we do see some good responses. Notice how the man healed of the impure spirit responds to Jesus. Verse 18, he also begs with Jesus, just like the crowd. Yet in contrast with the crowd, he begs to stay with Jesus. And not being able to stay with Jesus, he goes into town and he tells everyone about Jesus. The woman, she shows faith rather than fear. Simple, sincere, dependent And so the call to Jairus in verse 36 is the same call to us. Don't be afraid. Just believe. How will we respond? Will we be like the man and want to be with Jesus? Will we be like the woman and have faith in Jesus? How? How are we able to have this faith? Some of you will know that um, this summer just gone, at the summer camp that I was on, one of the teenage girls sadly passed away. She was a little daughter, just two years older than Jairus' daughter. Two days ago was her Thanksgiving service. And at it, 
her dad talked about how the loss of her daughter, or nothing can change the loss of her daughter. But what changes everything is that she trusted in Jesus Christ. And so in their loss, they turned to him. Because in him, they saw someone who knew what it was like to suffer. And yet in his suffering, have compassion on those who are suffering. Because in his great compassion, Jesus goes to the cross on our behalf. And yet he shows his absolute power by coming back to life again. And so the Father said, we have hope. We have hope that there is life beyond this life. You may be going through suffering or tough times now. Will you come to Jesus? Will you keep trusting in him? You may be supporting someone who is suffering right now. Will you bring them to Jesus? Will you help them to keep trusting in Jesus? And look, you may be sat here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. In fact, it might be because of suffering that you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Look, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, we still need a response to suffering. And so the secular theory simply just tells us it's, it's just a part of the circle of life. And yet in Jesus Christ, you have someone with immense compassion for your suffering, who engages with your suffering, who welcomes you to rest in him. And so because of his resurrection from the dead, he promises a day where there will be no more suffering, no more grief, no more pain. So let's trust in him. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the wonderfully compassionate hand of Jesus. A compassion that reaches out to a man possessed by a demon. A compassion that reaches out to a woman outcast and bleeding for 12 years. A compassion that reaches out and grabs the hand of a little daughter who's died. Help us to come to you. And help us to come to you because you are not only compassionate, but you are powerful. That you have defeated death and so promise a day to come where there is no more pain or suffering. Help us, Lord, to hold on to you. Will you hold on to us as we hope for that day? In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.